Part One, Chapter Eight of Eight Hundred Leagues on the Amazon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Scott Robbins. Eight Hundred Leagues on the Amazon, by Jules Verne. Part One, The Giant Raft. Chapter Eight, The Jangada. The half mile square of forest was cleared. With the carpenters remained the task of arranging in the form of a raft the many venerable trees which were lying on the strand, and an easy task it was. Under the direction of Juan Garau, the Indians displayed their incomparable ingenuity. In everything connected with house building or ship building. These natives are, it must be admitted, astonishing workmen. They have only an axe and a saw, and they work on wood so hard that the edge of their tools gets absolutely jagged. Yet they square up trunks, shape beams out of enormous stems, and get out of them joists and planking without the aid of any machinery whatever. And endowed with their prodigious natural ability, do all these things easily with their skilled and patient hands. The trees had not been launched into the Amazon to begin with. Juan Garau was accustomed to proceed in a different way. The whole mass of trunks was symmetrically arranged on a flat part of the bank, which he had already leveled up at the junction of the Nane with the great river. There it was that the jangada was to be built. Thence it was that the Amazon was to float it, when the time came for it to start for its destination. And here an explanatory note is necessary in regard to the geography of this immense body of water, and more especially as relating to a singular phenomenon, which the riverside inhabitants describe from personal observation. The two rivers, which are perhaps more extensive than the great artery of Brazil, the Nile and the Missouri Mississippi, flow one from south to north across the African continent, the other from north to south through North America. They cross districts of many different latitudes, and consequently of many different climates. The Amazon, on the contrary, is entirely comprised—at least it is from the point where it turns to the east—on the frontiers of Ecuador and Peru, between the second and fourth parallels of south latitude. Hence, this immense river system is under the same climatic conditions during the whole of its course. In these parts. There are two distinct seasons during which rain falls. In the north of Brazil, the rainy season is in September. In the south, it occurs in March. Consequently, the right-hand tributaries and the left-hand tributaries bring down their floods at half-yearly intervals, and hence the level of the Amazon, after reaching its maximum in June, gradually falls until October. This Schwangarau knew by experience. And he intended to profit by the phenomenon to launch the jangada, after having built it in comfort on the river bank. In fact, between the mean and the higher level, the height of the Amazon could vary as much as forty feet, and between the mean and the lower level, as much as thirty feet. A difference of seventy feet like this gave the fazender all he required. The building was commenced without delay. Along the huge bank. The trunks were got into place according to their sizes and floating power, which, of course, had to be taken into account, as among these thick and heavy woods, 
there were many whose specific gravity was but little below that of water. The first layer was entirely composed of trunks laid side by side. A little interval had to be left between them, and they were bound together by transverse beams, which assured the solidity of the whole. Piasaba ropes strapped them together as firmly as any chain cables could have done. This material, which consists of the ramicles of a certain palm tree, growing very abundantly on the river banks, is in universal use in the district. Piasaba floats, resists immersion, and is cheaply made. Very good reasons for causing it to be valuable, and making it even an article of commerce with the old world. Above this double row of trunks and beams were disposed the joists and planks, which formed the floor of the jangada, and rose about thirty inches above the load water line. The bulk was enormous, as we must confess when it is considered the raft measured a thousand feet long and sixty broad, and thus had a superficies of sixty thousand square feet. They were, in fact, about to commit a whole forest to the Amazon. The work of building was conducted under the immediate direction of Juan Garau. But when that part was finished, the question of arrangement was submitted to the discussion of all, including even the gallant Fragoso. Just a word as to what he was doing in his new situation at the fazenda. The barber had never been so happy as since the day when he had been received by the hospitable family. Juan Garau had offered to take him to Pará, on the road to which he was, when the liana, according to his account, had seized him by the neck and brought him up with a round turn. Fragoso had accepted the offer, thanked him from the bottom of his heart, and ever since had sought to make himself useful in a thousand ways. He was a very intelligent fellow, what one might call a double right-hander, that is to say, he could do everything, and could do everything well. As merry as Lina, always singing, and always ready with some good-natured joke, he was not long in being liked by all. But it was with the young mulatto that he claimed to have contracted the heaviest obligations. A famous idea, that of yours, Miss Lina, he was constantly saying, to play at following the liana. It is a capital game, even if you do not always find a poor chap of a barber at the end. Quite a chance, Mr. Fragoso, would laughingly reply Lina. I assure you, you owe me nothing. What? Nothing? I owe you my life, and I want it prolonged for a hundred years, and that my recollection of the fact may endure even longer. You see, it is not my trade to be hanged. If I tried my hand at it, it was through necessity. But, on consideration, I would rather die of hunger, and before quite going off, I should try a little pasturage with the brutes. As for this liana, it is a lean between us, and so you will see. The conversation generally took a joking turn, but at the bottom Fragoso was very grateful to the mulatto for having taken the initiative in his rescue, and Lina was not insensible to the attentions of the brave fellow, who was as straightforward, frank, and good-looking as she was. Their friendship gave rise to a many pleasant, Ah, ah! on the part of Benito, old Saibel, and others. To return to the jangada, after some discussion it was decided, as the voyage was to be of some month's duration, as to make it as complete and comfortable as possible. The Garau family, comprising the father, mother, daughter, Benito, 
Manuel, and the servants, Sibel and Lina, were to live in a separate house. In addition to these, there were to go forty Indians, forty blacks, Fragoso, and the pilot who was to take charge of the navigation of the raft. Though the crew was large, it was not more than sufficient for the service on board. To work the jangada, along the windings of the river, and between the hundreds of islands and islets which lay in its course, required fully as many as were taken, for if the current furnished the motive power, it had nothing to do with the steering, and the hundred and sixty arms were no more than were necessary to work the long boat-hooks by which the giant raft was to be kept in midstream. In the first place, then, in the hinder part of the jangada, they built the master's house. It was arranged to contain several bedrooms and a large dining-hall. One of the rooms was destined for Juan and his wife, another for Lina and Cybele near those of their mistresses, and a third room for Benito and Manuel. Minha had a room away from the others, which was not by any means the least comfortably designed. This, the principal house, was carefully made of weather-boarding, saturated with boiling resin, and thus rendered water-tight throughout. It was capitally lighted with windows on all sides. In front, the entrance door gave immediate access to the common room. A light veranda, resting on slender bamboos, protected the exterior from the direct action of the solar rays. The whole was painted a light ochre color, which reflected the heat instead of absorbing it, and kept down the temperature of the interior. But when the heavy work, so to speak, had been completed, Minya intervened with, "'Father, now your care has enclosed and covered us.' You must allow us to arrange our dwelling to please ourselves. The outside belongs to you, the inside to us. Mother and I would like it to be as though our house at the fazenda went with us on the journey, so as to make you fancy that we had never left Iquitos. Do just as you like, Minha, replied Juan Garau, smiling in the sad way he often did. That will be nice. I leave everything to your good taste. And that will do us honor, father. It ought to, for the sake of the splendid country we are going through, which is yours, by the way, and into which you are to enter after so many years' absence. Yes, Minha, yes, replied Juan. It is rather as if we were returning from exile, voluntary exile. Do your best. I approve beforehand of what you do. On Minha and Lina, to whom were added of their own free will, Manuel on the one side and Fragoso on the other, devolved the care of decorating the inside of the house. With some imagination and a little artistic feeling, the result was highly satisfactory. The best furniture of the fazenda naturally found its place within, as after arriving in Pará, they could easily return it by one of the igarteos. Tables, bamboo easy-chairs, cane sofas, carved wood shelves, Everything that constituted the charming furniture of the tropics was disposed with taste about the floating home. No one is likely to imagine that the walls remained bare. The boards were hidden beneath hangings of most agreeable variety. These hangings were made of valuable bark, that of the tuturis, which is raised up in large folds like the brocades and damasks and softest and richest materials of our modern looms. On the floors of the rooms were jaguar skins with wonderful spots, and thick monkey furs of exquisite fleeciness. 
like curtains of the russet silk produced by the sumauma hung from the windows the beds enveloped in mosquito curtains had their pillows mattresses and bolsters filled with that fresh and elastic substance which in the upper amazon is yielded by the bombax throughout on the shelves and side tables were little odds and ends brought from rio janeiro or belen those most precious to minha being such as had come from manuel what could be more pleasing in her eyes than the knick-knacks given by a loving hand which spoke to her without saying anything in a few days the interior was completed and it looked just like the interior of the fazenda a stationary house under a lovely clump of trees on the borders of some beautiful river until it descended between the banks of the larger stream it would not be out of keeping with the picturesque landscape which stretched away on each side of it we may add that the exterior of the house was no less charming than the interior in fact on the outside the young fellows had given free scope to their taste and imagination from the basement to the roof it was literally covered with foliage a confused mass of orchids bromelias and climbing plants all in flower rooted in boxes of excellent soil hidden beneath masses of verdure the trunk of some ficus or mimosa was never covered by a more startlingly tropical attire what whimsical climbers ruby red and golden yellow with variegated clusters and tangled twigs turned over the brackets under the ridges on the rafters of the roof and across the lintels of the doors they had brought them wholesale from the woods in the neighborhood of the fazenda a huge liana bound all the parasites together several times it made the round of the house clinging on to every angle and circling every projection forking uniting it everywhere throughout its irregular branchlets and allowed not a bit of the house to be seen beneath its enormous clusters of bloom as a delicate piece of attention the author of which can be easily recognized the end of the sepo spread out before the very window of the young mulatto as though a long arm was forever holding a bouquet of fresh flowers across the blind to sum up it was as charming as could be and as yaquita her daughter and lina were content we need say no more about it it would not take much to make us plant trees on the jangada said benito oh trees ejaculated minha why not replied manuel transported on to this solid platform with some good soil i am sure they would do well and we would have no change of climate to fear for them as the amazon flows all the time along the same parallel besides said benito every day islets of verdure torn from the banks go drifting down the river do they not pass along with their trees bushes thickets rocks and fields to lose themselves in the atlantic eight hundred leagues away why then should we not transform our raft into a floating garden would you like a forest miss said fragoso who stopped at nothing yes a forest cried the young mulatto a forest with its birds and its monkeys its snakes its jaguars continued benito its indians its nomadic tribes added manuel and even its cannibals but where are you going to fragoso said minha seeing the active barber making a rush at the bank to look after the forest replied fragoso useless my friend 
answered the smiling Minha. Manuel has given me a nosegay, and I am quite content. It is true, she added, pointing to the house hidden beneath the flowers, that he has hidden our house in his betrothal bouquet. End of chapter 8 The Jangada Recording by Scott Robbins